scripture reading this morning is found in Colossians chapter 2. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. Start at verse 8, reading through verse 23. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 23. If you don't have your own Bibles, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand, they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. And let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Colossians chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 8 through the end of the chapter. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If, Christ, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. May God give us insight, wisdom, and understanding in this word that we, the text that we'll be preaching from this morning. I know it's, you know, Paul writes, he, he's a heavy thinker, and so he clumps a lot of his thought and his ideas together, and so we've spent a lot of time, particularly in this section, trying to work through and dissect what the Word of God is teaching us, and I pray that we'll do so again today in a way that'll be useful, profitable for us, uh, for God's glory. Let's take some time to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and uh, bow in a word of prayer. After a word of prayer, a choir will come with special music, and then after special music, the preaching of God's word from the text that we just read. So let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for our guests and friends and visitors, some old friends and family that we haven't seen in a while. We thank you for allowing them to come and visit with us today. We thank you for the, the week's activities, Lord, and you've allowed us to, to minister in, and uh, we pray for this upcoming week as we continue to minister that your word might go forth uh, through us in our lives and, and from what we say and how we interact with others in such a way the gospel will uh, be prominent, the gospel will have a, its uh, opportunity to work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. So we pray a blessing on your people here, give us understanding as we look at your word today. Bless those who aren't here, especially those um, in need uh, of, of healing. We pray for Charles Alexander, who's not here. Normally, he's here every time. 
and we uh, we thank you for that. We pray that you just heal him, help him in the sickness that he has. Uh, we pray for my dad and continue healing for him. And uh, we just ask your blessing and sustaining of each and every one here today. We think of Bonnie and and just the uh, ailments that she's had, Lord, and and Mac and his dialysis and and uh, his continued health and and uh, um, so many others, Lord, that that have. Um, um, different ailments and ranging, uh, uh, but we know, Lord, that when we suffer, we all feel that, and we just ask for your help and your healing in our bodies. We ask that for that, that you might be glorified, that we might have another opportunity to just worship, to praise, and honor you in whatever task you've given us to do. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. text today we'll be looking at chapter 2 verses 16 through 23 but I want to start by having us looking at Colossians 2 starting at verse 6 through 15 and the reason I want to look there is that verse 16 where we start from it says therefore let no one pass judgment on you therefore we always say that that is a a signal because of what he stated before don't let anyone pass judgment well what did he state before so let's rehearse what that is and what I want to do is we're going to show on our screen starting at verse 6 and I'm going to read it, but what I want you to do is I have highlighted in yellow that I want, when I get to those phrases that are highlighted in yellow, I want you to say them with me, okay? So starting at verse 6, I'll read the main part, but when we get to that portion that's highlighted in yellow on the screen in front of you, I want you to say that with me because what we're going to see is the focus in Colossians is on Christ and what he's done. Who he is, what he, what he has done, and what that means for us. So because of who Christ is, because of what he's done, because of what benefit we derive from that, then we can go on to do what's stated in verse 16 and forward. So let me read that, and you follow and read that highlighted phrase with me. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you also in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You'll notice several times in those 10 verses, almost 13 times, there's some reference to Christ and saying that we are in him, with him, and we have derived benefits through him because of him. And so his emphasis in this whole section, it is all because of Christ, who he is, what he has done and what that means to us. So he goes on from that to say 
this, starting verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. What he's saying there is, you look, the therefore looks back to who Christ is and what he's done. And let's look again at some of those in hymns. In verse 9, it tells us, I want you to look in your Bible now. In him, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So, first of all, because in Christ dwells all the fullness of God in his body. Because of that, secondly, in him we have been filled. Look at verse 10. We have been filled. You have been filled in him. In other words, he completely supplies all that we need. I like that word filled. You go to a gas station just like me, and you realize that the gas is not cheap. And so, if you're like me, sometimes we don't feel our tank. <laughs> or sometimes what we do is we don't wait till it gets all the way empty to fill it. We let it get half full and we fill it back up. Because it takes so much to fill the whole tank. But it's good to have a full tank, isn't it? kind of rejoice when that needle goes all the way to F. <laughs> what he's saying is in Christ we are full, complete. He has supplied all that we need. Let's look at a few other uh, things that happen because of we are in Christ. Uh, actually in verse 10 also it says um, You have been filled in him, and then describes him this way, who is the head of all rule and authority. He's reminding us that Christ is in charge of everything and every, everybody. In other words, the demon world that we interact in and come up against, Christ is in charge of that too. He's head over that. He has authority over that. So people can't scare you with Satan's tactics. They're trying to tell you, no, they, 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 Satan is doing this and he's doing that and, and he's got this going on. Because I am in Christ and Christ is in me, I do not need to fear that. The psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Because Christ is in me and I belong to him I don't need to fear the, 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 the greatest enemy of all man. He's, he is rule over all authority. Verse 11, we have been circumcised. So in him we are circumcised. Says, verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, you say, well, what, what does that mean? It's simply, circumcision is a way to claim and identify. That, that's what it was for. It was a physical uh, way for, for Jewish males to show that they have been claimed by God and they are identified with God. And so you, in Christ, have been claimed and identified. You've spoken for. <laughs> I remember when Don and I first started dating. Uh, one thing that was a concern of me, you know, as we walked somewhere, you know, people would look at us and, you know, they're looking at her. That, that's what they're doing. They, they, they're looking at her. This is the guys doing that. And I would let them know, wait a minute. See? She belonged to me. The only way I could show that is by walking close to her. Sometimes you put your arm around her. Now I got this thing. See? I'm like, before you look at her, look at her hand. Get a good look at that. She's accounted for. She claimed. She belongs to me. Now, you think that sounds biased. Well, I belong to her as well. And so it's an even thing. He says not only that, verse 12, you have been buried. And in verse 12, you have been raised. So in Christ, we are both dead and alive. <laughs> that seems like it contradicts itself. But it's important. We are both dead and alive. The dead is the pre-crucifixion. The alive is the post-crucifixion. In other words, we've been to the cross. Our sins are paid for because Christ paid for them. And not only did he pay for them and ended there, he's alive after paying for them. We're alive after our sins have been paid for. Like, the penalty has been paid, 
and I'm free. It's like saying you had this great big debt to pay, but after you paid it, you're not broke. Isn't that a good feeling? So my debt is paid and I ain't broke. In fact, I'm still rich. Got a pocket full. So we have, we are dead and yet alive. Debt is paid for, we still got cash. What else has happened in him as we review a few of these verses? Verse 13, you have been made alive by the Father. Look at verse 13, it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. Now, it's, it's interjecting. Now we're talking about the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. God made us alive. And, but how did he do that? He did that. Read on. You have, where am I? Verse 13. You who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. So God made alive, but not just arbitrarily. He made us alive together with Christ. In other words, just like Christ died and raised and is raised again, so are we like Christ. We're alive and we raised, and God made us that way. So God the Father makes those who trust in Christ, makes them alive, but he does that through Christ. The whole point of what Paul is saying is, if you have a philosophy or if you have a religion or a way of thinking that gives you something that doesn't include Christ's doing, you, are got, you got the wrong thing. You got, you got a fake. You got a phony. You got something that will not get you there. Christ is essential to this equation. He must be a part of that. And so, you know, we, we know that. Some of us have, have been in church since, since, since early days in, in Sunday school. But it reinforces this idea that Jesus Christ is all in all. He's everything. And we must never forget that. It's not just a Sunday school answer to every question, Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. Well, sometimes we do that so often we forget how significant Jesus really is. And we need to go over, slow down, rehearse who this Jesus is. And Paul is drawing those at Colossae into this thought. Remember, you are who you are because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Verse 13, he says, your sins have been forgiven because of him. And verse 15, we said it before, you have victory even over Satan because of him. Verse 15 says, he disarmed the rulers. He, meaning God the Father, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. We talked about those rulers and authorities being the spiritual rulers and authorities. Talking about Satan's network. God the Father disarmed Satan's network, took him out, brought him to open shame, and he brought tri he triumphed over Satan's network. How? Through the cross and through Jesus himself. Not through any other means, not through any other person, but through Jesus. So the point when we get to verse 16 and we see the therefore, because of who Jesus is, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Now he's going into some specific pro areas that the folks at, at Colossae had issues with. They had issues with, we would call it today, legalism. Um, we would call it um, uh, just, just uh, religions that compete with Christianity in, 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 or try to compete but, but don't, don't add up. There was some wrong teaching. There was some false teaching going on there. And Paul is correcting a lot of that. Um, this legalistic mindset, legalism basically says this, you need to do something to earn salvation. It usually says this, you need to be good. You need to stop doing wrong. You need to start doing right. You need to keep on doing right. You need to, to live a very, very, very disciplined life. Now, listen closely. You'd be going like, what, what, what a minute. I thought that's what the Bible said. But as you listen closely, you understand, no, the Bible doesn't say that you do that to get saved. You do that to be born again. The Bible says those are the products 
of being born again. Once you're born again, this is what's going to happen in your life. It doesn't say you do that to get there. In fact, the Bible squashes the notion that any of us can in any way earn or deserve or work towards or have any benefit in our own salvation. So he says, be careful about anybody who comes to you with some guidelines and some rules and says, you got to do this to get in. And that's what Paul is guarding against. Now, as we talk about this, you will note that there is a need for caution and understanding in this. So I want you to understand, basically Paul is saying this, the word of God is saying this, don't go to another religion or to a system of works. Don't get caught up or trapped in a solution or a system of works. What do we mean by works? It's something that you do in order to be okay with God. In order to be saved, in order to be, have your sins forgiven, and in order to, to have a place in heaven, in order to be right with God, don't go to a system of works. So if you look at that in verse 16, he says, because of who Christ is and all that he has done, don't you dare get caught up in the legalism again. Don't get caught up in a works-based salvation. He's cautioning them. And so... Uh, he, he says, and I'm going to answer that in, in, in three ways. Why, what are the, the three motivations for us not to get caught up in, in that type of system? Why should you not follow a religion or a system of works? Verse 16. The first answer is in verse 16 and 17. So let's read those and then let's discuss what they're saying here. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Notice what he says. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in question of food and drink in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What, what is this? Food and drink had to do... Paul is dealing with the, uh, uh, um, the Jewish society, the same uh, uh, society that Jesus came into and he dealt with. You know, it's one of the main things that Jesus did when he walked on earth. As he began to speak forth the gospel, he challenged uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious teaching of his day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were a religious people. They, they honored the Bible. At least they thought they did. And they, in fact, they thought they honored it so much that they wanted to fulfill and satisfy every bit and every small requirement that the Bible said. When I say Bible, they had the Old Testament, and so they were going by that. And, they, and so they taught a system that if you wanted to be right with God, if you were a true Jew, you obeyed God in all of these areas, and that your strict adherence and obedience to God made you okay. And in fact, they taught that they were okay because they were obedient, and in fact, they were above everybody else because their obedience was greater than everybody else's. So if you wanted to get like them, you had to do as they did. Jesus challenged that thinking right away because that system of belief, did, it brought them into air. You might say, well, what's wrong with that? Aren't they supposed to be obedient to, 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 to the law, to the Old Testament? The first reason why we don't follow a system of works is because the Old Testament system of law and works pointed to and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You cannot fulfill them. You cannot keep them. And even if you could, they wouldn't save you. Now, he says that in this way. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in question of food and drink. In, in the Jewish law, in fact, in the Old Testament, there were certain things that they could not eat and certain things they couldn't drink. You remember the character of, of, of Samson? He took a vow, and that was a special vow. All Jews weren't required to take that vow. But in his case, he, he uh, was called by God to be unique and separated from everybody else. And he took a vow. And there certain things he couldn't eat. He couldn't eat anything that, that had touched a, a dead uh, a body. 
um, and, and, and he couldn't drink uh, 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 wine. And so there were certain things that he was restricted from doing. He speaks of, don't let anybody pass judgment in regard to festivals or new moon. What were the festivals? Throughout the Jewish calendar, they had various uh, uh, um, um, things that they were to participate in. Passover was one. Uh, um, the week of, 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 of feasts, um, there, there was uh, a number of things that they were supposed to do during these times as they worshiped the Lord. When it says new moon, new moon was the beginning of the month that they were to do certain things in worship to God. These were stated in the Old Testament. I could actually take you back to several passages, but I don't want to take too much time doing that. It's simply the the Old Testament set these guidelines and these rules. And people in Paul's day were saying, well, hey, don't we still got to keep that? And in fact, people in his day were saying, not only do you have to keep that, when you keep it, you are spiritual. And you are more spiritual the more you keep it. And that was the, the mindset that they were making. Paul is saying here, no, no, no. That's not the case. You do, be not, you do not become more spiritual the more rules and guidelines that you keep. That does not make you spiritual at all. In fact, Jesus himself exposed that uh, in, in several ways. He says, you know, it's not what a man eats that defiles him. It's not what he puts in his mouth that ruins him, ruins his character, makes him unfit to be uh, uh, presented to God. It's what comes out of his mouth. And Jesus was saying it's what comes out of his heart. What the, the mouth, what he says and how he speaks comes from his own heart. So it's the heart that defiles a man, not what he eats. That's what Jesus had taught the Pharisees. And, and he had taught a number of things like that. He would challenge them in so many different ways. Over and over and over again, he, he healed on the Sabbath. And they got mad. You're doing work on the Sabbath. He says, look, I made the Sabbath. I can do as I please on the Sabbath. They had a whole wrong idea of what, what uh, God had done and why he had created these laws. The main thing they missed, you, you want to talk about a, uh, a uh, looking for the word, uh, they, they are trying to obey in one way, and in and, and, and that very same way they're trying to obey, it becomes obvious that they've gone against a paradox. They've gone against the word of God. Here it is. Jesus was crucified during what time? The Passover feast. During the Passover feast. Remember when he took his disciples aside and said, hey, we got to keep the Passover. It's what we commonly call the Last Supper. And he did that before, the day before he went to the cross. They put him to death on the Passover day. And they failed to realize that the Passover, in fact, all the laws, all the guidelines and instructions God had given to his people in Israel pointed to Jesus and are fulfilled in Jesus. And here they are crucifying Jesus. On that, at that same weekend, that same feast day, the day they're supposed to be celebrating, the day they're supposed to be holy, they murder an innocent man and unknowingly fulfill God's requirement that Jesus himself is the path. He is the lamb that was slain so this blood will be spilled and, 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 and bring uh, uh, forgiveness and bring uh, 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 take away God's judgment from entering into their household. They didn't even know that they were doing it. They violated God's word in order to fulfill God's word on Jesus' behalf. So Jesus, his life is, is full of, of those types of things. Now, go back to what Paul is saying here. He says, don't let somebody pull these guidelines and these rules up as a test of spirituality for you. Why? Because of all the things that we said about Jesus. He fulfills the law. The law and, and, and all of these feasts and all these ceremonies, they 
appointed, they were to point to Jesus, and Jesus fulfills them. In fact, one thing that we should learn from the Old Testament is that man cannot fulfill God's requirements. He cannot. He is sinful. He cannot fulfill them. Jesus is the one and only one who fulfills all of those. So what Paul is saying, don't let someone lump on you a system of works that you can't live out. These, this system was to point to our need for a Savior and emphasize and point to the one who did fulfill all of that. And we say, he is my Savior. He is the one that fulfills for me. So one of the reasons why we don't go into a system of works is because the Old Testament system points to Christ and is fulfilled by Christ, shows that we cannot keep it and that it would not save us. Verse 18 and 19, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. Uh, what is he saying here? Disciplines and religions not grounded in Christ are all vain. And we're going to spend some time on this point in the next couple of uh, uh, messages as we get into chapter 3. Because the New Testament, Paul is saying here two things that seem to contradict. He's saying don't get into religion and discipline and he uses this word asceticism. You know what that means? It means denying yourself in such a way as kind of like as, as a worship. Disciplining yourself for the sake of being close to God or for the sake of what, what they did is they did that uh, trying to attain some spiritual level, spiritual eliteness. It, it brings to mind fasting. People go without food, even for a short time, go without water, in order they might commune with God. And so you say, wait a minute, the Bible says don't do that, but then the Bible says do that. How do I distinguish and, and, and what's the difference? Because he says, recognize that self-discipline and religion and, 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 and withholding yourself and doing these things are not an avenue or a way to a spiritual walk with God. They do not bring spiritual uh, eliteness to you. But then in the next chapter, he says, there's some things you need to be disciplined about. You need to put off and you need to put on. I mean, in fact, we know all throughout God's word, he talks about the value of discipline in our lives. So what is he, what is he saying here? Look at verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Kind of answer that question. Uh, trying to attain spiritual eliteness by practicing various forms of self-denial, eating or not eating, observing or not observing. We notice that today. In fact, what, what's curious is that we notice people do that and they're not a part of what we would think would be a religion. Some people don't eat meat, but they don't do it for religious reasons, or so they say they don't do it for religious reasons. I beg to differ with most of them because if I asked them, should I not eat meat, they would say, I'd be better off not doing that. So what if I don't want to do that? If I like spare ribs, I like hamburger, I can't eat no lasagna without some beef in it. They say, well, that's okay. That's okay for you. Some of them say that. But many of them get on their little, little box and begin to say, wait a minute. Why are you killing all them animals? Why are you living like that? You don't have to live like that. So what it does, in fact, in many ways become a religion. Paul is saying, be careful about what you eat and what you don't eat and why you eat or don't eat it. In fact, be careful about those who want to say, don't do this or do this so that you might be this type of person. You might be the spiritual elite. What he's saying here, 
because as I mentioned before, he, he does acknowledge that discipline is important in the Christian walk. When we get to chapter 3, he'll say this, you can't live as a Christian without discipline. So there are some disciplines that are needed. But what he's dealing with is this legalistic mindset that says you will find yourself in a better spiritual plane by keeping these rules. He is challenging that to say, look, any discipline, any discipline that's not grounded in Christ is vain. I'll say that again so we can digest it. Any discipline that's not grounded in Christ is vain. Now, I have to, I have to take a time out and, and, and kind of give you, kind of relate a little bit because I'm a, I'm a discipline-minded person. In other words, I believe that discipline is essential to life itself. And in fact, I find that myself, when, when I get outside of many of my disciplines, I get into trouble. So I need to, to, to live a disciplined life. I believe we should eat in, in a certain way. I believe we need exercise. We need discipline in that. Um, I, you know, I, I play a musical instrument, and I watch on, on, on YouTube so many times. They, they teach you. There's so many people that, that teach different techniques that you need to learn to play an instrument like that. You'd be surprised. It's interesting. You have to learn lip control. You need to learn tongue control. You need to learn how to, how to uh, control certain muscles in your mouth. And so they have you doing all these different exercises. And one of them have, have you buzz notes just when you live. And they have you doing these exercises all during the day just so you can develop a certain tone with your lips. So that's how, how crazy. And not only that, you have to practice breathing exercises so that you can, they call them long tones, so that you can breathe out long tones. And so there's all this different skill and discipline. And, you know, here's the point I'm making. And sometimes you can get so carried away with all the exercises that you forget the point of the exercises is to play beautiful music. And you lose, you, you, you lose focus of that. The, hey, the, the purpose of this is not to say, well, you know, um, how many long tones have you done today? How does it sound? Is the sound pure? Is it beautiful music that can be enjoyed by the soul? That's, that's, that's the goal of it. And so I bring that to point. What's the, what's the object of your discipline? Why do you eat what you eat or don't eat what you eat? Why is it that you exercise or don't exercise? And if Christ isn't in the center of it, it's junk. You can, wear, you can run marathons year after year after year, but if Christ is not the center of what you do and why you do it, then it's nonsense. Or another way of putting it, it's vain and will have only little lasting value, and that value is wrapped up in this short life and has no benefit eternally if Christ isn't the center of it. Now, having said that, we live in a world that's usually on the opposite of that. See, we live Christians, we often say, well, I'm a Christian. That's why, you know, I eat all the meat I want. I can exercise because if my body stops functioning, if my heart stops pumping, if my lungs, you know, can't, can't, can't uh, 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 inhale and exhale, and if, if I can't function the way I know I'm going to heaven. <laughs> right? We tell the doctors that, don't matter, I ain't, I ain't going to stop eating salt, I ain't going to stop eating fat, I'm not going to worry about my cholesterol, I'm not going to do nothing. And so we, what we find is there's a lot of non-Christians that put us to shame when it comes to living a disciplined life. So we need to understand that there is a balanced thinking when it comes to discipline. And that's why I think we get chapter 2 and chapter 3 combined. In chapter 2, Paul is saying, look... Don't use discipline as a religion because it won't attain the goal that you've set for it. And that goal is to give you a right relationship with God. Discipline won't do that. Discipline won't erase your sin. Discipline won't get, bring you at peace with God. A discipline will, will not give you a new life to make you born again. Discipline will not bring you into the kingdom of God. 
And then in the next chapter, he says, don't you dare be undisciplined. Because it's impossible to live a Christian life without discipline. He says, you need to put on these things. You need to put off these things. So he says, you need to understand then the key is everything that we do, do needs to be wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the therefore of verse 16 is so important. Because of all that Christ is, because of all that he has done, because of all the benefit that we derive from him, our salvation is secured not by what we do and accomplish, not by the discipline that I walk by, but by Christ, by what he has done. I am secure, not because, and, and bring this into our spiritual walk, I believe we need to read God's word. There are so many different Bible reading uh, programs, you know that? There's a reading the Bible through the year program. I've done that. There's a reading the Bible through a, in a month. I've done that. There's reading the Bible through in a week. I've done that. There, there, there's a uh, reading the Bible for teens, reading the Bible for, for unwed moms. There's reading the Bible for, for uh, seniors. There, there, there's all these different programs. But you know what I'm saying is? If you are, are structured and disciplined but ignoring Christ, in all of that. You know, you can't even read the Bible, ignore Christ, and fail to worship. You know, it's like, hey, get out of here. I got to do my Bible reading today. Well, I don't want to interact with nobody. I, I don't want to do I just want to get it done because it's on my list of things to do. And I'm a disciplined person. I do the things that's on my list of things to do. And this is one I'm, I'm going to accomplish it. And you know what? I'm going to accomplish it so I can say, go ahead, boy. You did it. You did it. And the next time somebody says, have you done Bible reading? Yeah. <laughs> I've done my Bible reading. Have you ever read? Yeah, I read that. I've been there, done that. It is to puff us up, to pat ourselves on the back. A system of human works tends to do that. You ever knock on your door? Hi, we're Jehovah Witnesses. We'd like to spend a little word word with you system of works what does it do it puffs up look what he says in Colossians chapter 2 verse, we were looking at 18 and 19 I want to go over that insisting on asceticism we said what is asceticism a system of denying yourself for the sake of reaching a spiritual eliteness worship of angels the worship of angels was they relied on angels to give them peace in the spiritual world. They honored angels. They, they worshiped them. They used them. I don't know, they prayed to them or whatever. Um, you say, well, people ain't doing that today. Uh, some of the same things. Some of the same things. Like burning incense and saying, it's going to bring priests over my house. The spirits are going to dissipate as the, in as the incense fills this room. You, you go into the spirit world so that you might derive some benefit of it. That's what he's talking about. He says anything that's outside or, or doesn't include the Lord Jesus Christ, you're doing it in vain. What else he says? Going in detail about visions. Every cult is, is, is basically has his, his foundation, his background in that. False teaching has that. And basically false teaching says this. Look. I know you got the Bible, but I had this vision. It's always but. You ever notice? It's but. In other words, what I saw and what was revealed to me is a little bit more and a little bit different than what the normal Christian gets by just reading the Bible. I got this extra spiritual knowledge come straight from God that you don't know nothing about. So that's what they were doing. They were, they, was, they were putting themselves over others by saying they had a vision. Now, Paul himself had a vision. And he said God gave him something along with that vision to keep him humble. He gave him a thorn in the flesh so that he'd be reminded that you're still human. Paul, you ain't there yet. You ain't reached no level yet. 
Just because I let you in on something over here don't mean that you can go uh, putting yourself above others. And so he, he, he noted that. And so he says, be cautious of people who are trying to use some spiritual elitism to, to, to go over you. And notice as he gets down to the, to the point here, he says, puffed up without reason. This is where a system of works leads to. It leads to pride that tends to puff up the individual. Paul is saying, look, anything that has us focusing on ourselves more than looking to the Lord Jesus Christ is an error in how we are looking at it. It's something wrong with that system or something wrong with us using that system. That's why he says in verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. Don't rely on anything that is a system of works that doesn't focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not holding fast to the head. Then he says this, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Now that's a mouthful there, but he's simply saying this. The key to our spiritual state, our well-being, and our growth is the Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize that it is from Christ that we derive our very life. And it's through Christ, get this, with other believers that we grow. Read that verse again. Verse 19 not holding fast to the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows. From whom the whole body grows. In other words, it's from Christ that we have life and that we grow. But we grow in such a way that we grow in contact and in relation to each other. He's not talking about one person growing all by itself apart from another person being impacted and affected. Let me say it this way. We have a couple of newborns in our midst, and, and I see them, and, and because they're part of my family, I see them regularly. But every time I see them, it's like, wow, they're growing. They're growing. They're growing. But guess what? They're growing as a unit. We wouldn't want my little grandson's head to grow all by itself. And little feet just stay the same height, same level. And I'm rocking them, you know. Little short legs and great big old head. Is there something wrong with that picture? Growth happens as we function together through Christ. So what he's saying is, is that Christ is essential for our, 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 our spiritual life and for our growth, and he does that in such a way in connection of us with others. So we cannot afford then to isolate ourselves or to puff up ourselves as if we're over and above somebody or anybody else. That's what the system of works does. And we need to be very careful that we are not walking in that or going by that or puffed up by that. Christ then becomes our focus, becomes the center of both our salvation and our sanctification. Christ isn't just for salvation, he's also for sanctification. As we grow in Christ, we become more and more like him. So again, at verse 19, not holding fast to the head. That's what's wrong with all those other things, asceticism, worship of angels, visions. Um, they puffed up. Um, they, they, they bring a, a sense of pride, and it ignores the essential uh, part of our life and growth, and that's Christ. Not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God going to deal with the next part in another message and so let's just take a look and digest what we have said
today. In essence, spirituality is not about us, what we do or what we don't do. It's about Christ, from whom we have life and through whom we grow in connection with other parts of the body and other believers. He warns us about our thinking that not be based on doing um, practices that bring us to some level of, of a in spiritual walk. And yet, in the next chapters, we're going to see he talks about the need for discipline in our lives. So what we understand from that is all that we do in terms of discipline in a walk needs to be Christ-centered and Christ-focused. I want to challenge you to have that balance where Christ becomes the object. He becomes the motivation. He becomes the reason for why you do uh, what you do. Why you eat what you eat, why you don't eat what you don't eat needs to be to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. The freedoms that he's given me that I enjoy, I want to honor him. I want to, I want to be obedient to him in all that I do. Not to attain some spiritual greatness, but simply because that's the way he called me to walk. Verse 6, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I hope you understand that if you have entrusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is not possible for you to have a right relationship with God. That Christ is the essence of that. I hope you also understand that God wants you to continue to walk with him and to grow in him. He didn't save you to just drop you off and, and have you not develop and grow. He wants you to grow in him and continue that walk with him. And Christ is, the, is, is, is essential to that. In other words, your attitude about Christ. For the Christian, Christ can't just be your past tense. I trusted in him one day. He has to be everyday focus. And that's what Paul is bringing to us. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you rightly would challenge our hearts, correct our thinking, that we honor you in all that we do. There's one here today, Lord, that doesn't know Christ as Savior and Lord. Pray that the Holy Spirit has been working in that one's heart to draw them to you, and that you would have them right now to just recognize that they need to have a relationship with you that's only possible through trusting Christ and accepting him as Lord in their life. And that that will change all of the rest of their lives. Pray that you speak to hearts right now in Jesus' name.